0: Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, Dear Father, we truly want to bow down and to acknowledge that every part of our life must be lived in obedience before you, and especially as work takes up so much of our time. We pray that today as we examine your word, you will help us to really concentrate and to examine your word and to, to find out your will for us so that we may work in a pleasing and godly way before you. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now okay, I want to uh, tell you, before I became a pastor, uh, I worked for 8 years in different uh, companies and in different roles uh, in Australia and Singapore, in big companies and in small companies. Okay? And uh, over the years, I've made this observation, and I'm sure that if you looked around as well, you probably made this observation yourself, that when you work in the workforce, sometimes it's very hard for you to tell who the Christian is. You know, it's like playing this game, right? Spot the Christian at work. And you know that some people go to church, you know that some people wear a cross, you know that some people even have little Bible passages up on their table, their work table. But when you look at them, you think they don't really behave like Christians. Some of them lie, some of them don't show integrity in the workplace, some of them steal or cheat or backstab. Uh, You know, people behave in a really weird way and you sort of look at them and you think, um... I wonder whether they realize that what they're doing is actually very unchristian or very ungodly. And you sort of wonder, why does this thing happen, right? Why why is it this is happening for these people who consider themselves Christian? And I think that the secret, uh, part of the secret is is found in the passage that we read today, Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4 actually comes uh, after 1, 2 and 3, obviously. And it is trying to show us that after we become Christian, that we must live a new life. That it is not enough for us to say, yes, I accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, and for there not to be any transformation in the way that we live. And if you look in verse 20, it will say these very, very powerful words. He'll say, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Verse 21, surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And what Paul is saying here is that we are like changing clothes. If you look at verse 20 to 24, it's like you have this old clothes which you wear, which is made out of your old self, your former corrupted self. It says there in verse 22 which was corrupted by its deceitful desires. After you become a Christian, after you accepted Jesus, you take off those old clothes, and it says there in verse 24, you put on a new self. You're new in attitude to your mind. You're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And therefore. When we live as Christians, it is not enough for us to just say with our mouths, we believe in Jesus, we accept Jesus' death for us. We must actually put on these new clothes that God has made for us, these new clothes of righteousness. And last week, uh, I don't know about you, but I was really touched. Do you remember last week this girl, Lady Jasmine, came? She was a missionary to, the, to Thailand, and she shared uh, something which really touched me. She said at the age of 15, when she was sitting in church, uh, she said to herself, that surely the death and resurrection of Jesus must make a difference in the way that I live. Do you remember she said that last week? And that was one of the reasons why she became a missionary. And yeah, because she says, the death of Jesus must make a difference in the way that I live. And I think that today, we will see that it must make a difference in the way that we work. How we work must change if we truly accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, and that His death, and resurrection must make a difference in our life. So, if you look up here in the slide uh, in Luke chapter three, right, Luke chapter three, the beginning in the Gospel of Luke, where John is preaching to the crowds in preparation for Jesus coming to the scene, and he sees these great crowds of people coming to him, and he says to them, "You brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping repentance." And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, next slide. Then the crowd answers him and says, What shall we do then? And John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him though who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Then he says to the tax collectors, Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher they asked, what should we do? Do not collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, do not extort money and don't accuse people falsely be content with your pay. So here these people are coming to John and John says, If you want to be ready for the judgment to come, you must produce fruit. You must repent. You must change the way you live. And what is noticeable is that there are two groups of people, the tax collectors and the soldiers, that come to John. And in both of them, he tells them that the good news must lead to changed lives. For the tax collectors, he says, Look, don't collect more money than you have to collect. Because in the olden days, the tax collectors would take more, they would skim more tax than they would have to to keep it for themselves. And he says to the soldiers, You're not meant to extort people or to accuse people falsely, and they are to be content. To their pay. And I think the pastor that I was listening to, Dick Lucas, says a very good point. He says, as you become a Christian and you listen to the gospel, many times the, God, the Bible and God's word will say to you, stop it. Stop it. You have to stop different things that you want to do that you used to do but you can no longer do. And when you work, it means that you must stop various things. For the tax collectors, it meant stopping collecting more tax than they did were. For the soldiers, it meant stopping extorting uh, Uh, pay or other things from other people, right? So imagine, you know, army checkpoint or whatever, they would take things from people. Uh, Actually, this is not part of the sermon. But it just occurred to me when I went to Malaysia that nearly happened to me a few times already, okay? Now, today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And this is what I'm going to focus on, just one verse, okay? So you're going to think today's sermon is very short, but actually it's not, okay? But one verse, chapter 4, verse 28. And it's up here on the slide. And this is what it says. So, Paul says you must put on the new clothes of righteousness, and he says in the in for work you must put on the new clothes of righteousness. And what does it mean? He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Just three verses, three phrases. I sorry, three phrases, and and I'm going to just focus on these three phrases. The first thing is he says. If we are Christian, if we have these new clothes of righteousness, if we now believe in Jesus and we transform, we must not steal. We must not steal. Now, there are two ways of understanding it. One way is that in the ancient world, when people were poor, it was very common for them to resort to stealing in order to feed their family. Okay, we can understand that. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, right? Book of Proverbs, chapter 30. Uh, The the guy who writes Proverbs asked God that he would not become poor because if he became poor, he would steal and dishonor the name of God. But it's not just poor people who stole, right? Because as we can see in the the passage that we read the Gospel before, that also it was common in different professions to steal. Tax collectors, uh, soldiers, they stole as well. So he says, now that you're Christians, you do not steal. Now, I think that has a lot of application for us, and this is where it might get a bit, uh, bit painful, right? Because as I reflect on it myself, it gets painful for me. Do we steal at work? And I think there are three ways that we might steal. We might steal things, isn't it? Now, when I was, uh, before I became an accountant, uh, before I was a pastor, I was an accountant. And I remember when I first became an accountant, there was a gold mine in my accountancy office. You know what the gold mine was? It was called the stationery cupboard. All right? That is the gold mine. All right? You go to the stationery cupboard, you come straight out of university, you open the stationery cupboard, and there's gold in there highlighters, pens, every pen you want, liquid paper, unlimited uh, you know, paper pads that you want of every different shape and size, staplers, staples, paper clips, whatnot is in there, right? Now, the great temptation is you start taking this stuff from the gold mine, but instead of using it for work, which you're supposed to, you start using it at home and doing all sorts of stuff with it. Which is actually stealing, right? Because it's meant for work. I remember going to a Bible study once, and the lady beside me was writing on a pad with embossed at the top there with her office logo. And I was saying to her, I said, you know, that's your office stuff. You, know, you shouldn't be uh, using it for church stuff. Because it's, it's, it's not meant for, for that. It's, you know, you've know, stolen it from the company. And I think that that's a great temptation that we have. And actually, that's stealing. That is stealing. We may not steal things, but worst of all, we can steal money, isn't it? We can steal money. Again, when I was working as an accountant, we have these things called a food allowance and a transport allowance. So if you work past a certain time, the office will give you a transport allowance. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? And you will past a certain time, also the company will give you a, a food allowance for food love because you know you work so late. So what is the great temptation? What do a lot of people do? You say that you stayed later than you really did so that you can claim transport and you can claim food. But that's stealing, no? I mean, that's, 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 that's nothing else. You're just stealing money. And I think that the Bible is very clear here. right? Like Dick Lucas says, you must stop. You must stop doing this because as your life is transformed by what Jesus has done for you, as you put on the new clothes of righteousness, you cannot steal things from your company because it is just stealing. Do not steal, it says. But it's not just uh, things, right? We can steal time. Because when you're at work, The company is paying you to work. Now, I've been working before, and many times there's a great temptation that you will serve the net, right? You serve your Facebook, you update your Facebook, uh, maybe you go to Wikipedia, or you go to YouTube, uh, many things, uh, or even before computers. Uh, For some of you who are younger, you can't imagine that day, right? You spend all your time on the telephone, talking to your friends, organizing what you're going to do on the weekend. Now that's still stealing time for your boss because you're supposed to be working, but you're on the phone talking. And I remember again, way, way back when I was working as an accountant, one of my colleagues actually got fired because he spent so much time during the day on the phone and he was warned so many times about calling uh, and making private calls during office hours. But you see, At the end of the day, like this passage tells us, we must not steal, isn't it? We must not steal. In fact, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, which is up here, uh, not that we are slaves, right? We're not slaves in the way that the old, uh, sorry, they were slaves in those days, but the principle applies. And it says that in verse 22, we should not just obey our earthly masters while their eyes are on us to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart. And reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as for working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Therefore, if we know that Jesus sees everything that we do, and we should serve him, it says there with all our heart and When we work, we should work properly. We shouldn't be on the phone, we shouldn't be doing YouTube, and all sorts of things. Now, when I was in theological college, uh, a friend of mine uh, did his chartered accounting exams, and and, you know chartered accounting exams uh, can be quite uh, difficult, right? And I asked him, why why do you want to do your chartered accounting exams? And then immediately after, he decided to go to theological college. Why don't you just quit and go to theological college? What a... I mean, to me, it's like, you know, a lot of work for, for no reward, right? I mean, you do your, your, your qualification, and you leave and become a pastor, right? Then he told me that in his workplace, there were two Christians who were really slack at work. They were slackers. Come late, leave early, use office hours to plan all sorts of things except do their work. And when they left, they said, oh, it's okay, I'm, I'm going to do full-time Christian work. And as a result, a lot of people in the office got the impression that, you know, Christians are just slackers. Lah. You know, you know they, not, they, they, they do full-time Christian work because they can't cut it in the secular world. So this uh, classmate of mine said, because of their bad witness, he decided that he was going to be different. He would work diligently and he would finish his charter accounting exams to show that, look, when I leave, I'm not leaving because... I had no choice, but when I leave, I'm leaving because I want to leave. And I think that that was a really good witness, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, how we work in terms of our time actually says to people this is how Christians live. It is actually a testimony to people of whether I'm working as a Christian or as a slacker. So therefore, do not steal, right? Do not steal time. Do not steal things. But the last one, I think, is do not steal people's trust. Do not steal people's trust. Now, in the book of Proverbs, uh, it is very clear that God hates lying. God hates cheating. Now, you look up here very carefully. uh, In these three Proverbs, I've highlighted the different things for you. And I want you to really look at it carefully. And you'll see... That is actually very profound what Proverbs says here. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2, says, Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, this is a really profound proverb. When you actually think about it, put your mind to it, really apply yourself to it, you, you think it has got so much depth to it. Now, it's a few strange things, right? It, says, it basically says uh, wicked treasures, right? Wickedness, of the, the wicked... The treasures of the wicked have no value. You sort of think, well, that's a bit strange because in the Old Testament, generally wicked people do not get rich, right? I mean, how can they have treasures but they're wicked? But in the Old Testament, it does show that actually wicked people do can, can get a hit. Wicked people can get rich. And, and then it says that ill-gotten or wicked treasures are of no value. And you sort of think, well, how can it be, right? Because if I stole a hundred dollars, it's still a hundred dollars. How can it have no value? It's hundred dollars. But then the next line clarifies isn't that ill-gotten treasures are of no value because righteousness delivers from death. So what the, the, the writer of Proverbs is saying is that yes, you might steal $100 and it's worth $100 but it doesn't actually save you from judgment and death. He's actually saying that if you have a short-term view of life It is worth stealing, it is worth cheating, it is worth lying because you can get something. But if you have a long-term view of life beyond death, then actually it has no value at all. The next uh, passage actually says a similar thing, Proverbs chapter 11. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Again, very profound, right? Because what's a deceptive wage? The word here literally, it is, it is a false wage. So that means the wicked person earns something, but it is a false wage. It is deceptive. Why? Because it won't last. But again, righteousness will give you something that is sure. Something that will last. Something that is, is certain. Uh, very similar to the idea of Colossians chapter 3. That we will, we will inherit eternal life through the way that we behave at work. And the last proverb, the Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please Him. Now, the word detest here literally means it is an abomination to God. You know abomination? Not the abominable snowman, right? But abomination. That means God really hates it. He really hates it when you cheat or you lie. See, you have different weights and dishonest scales. That means that, you know, you sell people 10 you know, like one kg of durian, but actually, you know, you sold them slightly less and that. All that sort of stuff, like, okay? He's just cheating. And God says it, it, it is, He hates that. He hates that. So that means when we are at work and we are tempted to lie, we're tempted to cheat, we're tempted to get ahead by dishonest means, we must ask ourselves the questions. What do we earn? Does it really have any value if you earn something dishonestly? Because it says here, it is actually false. It is actually deceptive. There is there is no value after death because of how you act. Now again, in my own life, um, you must think that I'm mixed with a lot of bad company, right? But when I worked, I worked as a management consultant for a little while, and uh, it was a very high-paying job for me, lah. I got free car park and everything, okay? Free car park very important. Anyway. I remember once, right, we had this assignment, which we had to get done by Friday. Definitely Friday. And our partners were working, literally, sleeping in the office overnight. You know, I was working like a dog, right? By Friday morning, we knew there was no way we would finish this assignment by Friday afternoon. And we knew that we had to send the disk with our report to the client, by Friday afternoon or else we are dead really dead so you know what my partner did he got the disc right? he said okay Andrew and the rest of the guys load out all your information that we said but we haven't finished yet it's okay just load it up Okay, then we load it up then what you know what did he got a magnet and corrupted the disc and then we send it to the client and then the client can't open the disc because it's corrupted already right he said okay we, we gain ourselves two more days before we have to get the report out. That's lying, right? Isn't that lying? That's cheating. right? Because you really didn't actually have the report done, you just put it in the disc and you pretend that, you know, somehow like uh, Fed Express or DHL, uh, they corrupted the disc for us, right? But that's actually, that's just pure lying. And, uh, I mean, because of that, the one, the, I mean, that was one of the reasons I left that company. But, you see, what do you actually gain in the end, you see, when you lie and cheat? In God's eyes, it is false and deceptive. Now, uh, for those of you who are students, I think that uh, there is a great temptation to lie in these days. I don't see that many students here, but there are some. Anyway, I've been reading uh, this book I told you recently, should we use somebody else's sermon, right? And, uh, and uh, there's this interesting article. He said in America they did a survey. About 4,500 uh, students and they found that 75% of them had engaged in serious cheating, with more than half of them plagiarizing work they found on the internet. Uh, Education Week found that 54% of, serv- of students they polled admitted to plagiarizing from the internet, and they also found that 71% sorry 74% admitted they had committed committed serious cheating at least once during the past school year. Now I know this happens. I won't tell you why, I know this happens, right? but now with the internet it's so easy for you to plagiarize and to take things which are not yours and say that they are yours. But even if you get a good mark because of it, right? even if you get a good mark, at the, when it comes to eternity, when God looks at you, will He say to you, oh that's a really good job, you know? well done. No, he won't, right? That is an abomination to God. He hates that. He detests that. So, no cheating, no stealing. Don't steal time. Don't steal trust. Don't steal things. Now, the next phrase, which is up here, is, right, he must work, doing something useful with his own hands. Now, the word here, work, uh, literally means tiring and demanding labor. Now, I thought, I don't need to preach that, right? Because Singaporeans, we work so hard already, right? Why do I need to teach you all to work hard? So, but the thing that I don't want to focus on so much here about working hard is, is what he says later on, isn't it? He says they must work doing something useful with his own hands. Now when you think about it, that's very strange, right? He, because he's saying to these people, do not steal, maybe because they're poor, then we would say, well, you must work and try to save money. Right? But he didn't say that. He says he must work doing something useful with his hands. And the word useful here, uh, next slide, is literally the word doing good to people. It's the word here, let us do good people. He must do something good to people, for people. And what I'm saying is, when you really think about it, the Christian understanding of work is not about earning as much money as possible. I'll say that again, the Christian understanding of work is not about earning as much money as possible. It is about doing something useful for other people. It is about serving other people, about doing good to other people. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because Jesus said, what is the first commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And part of work is loving the neighbor. Part of work is actually serving the neighbor. So I was reading this book. It says, uh, not by, by bread alone, and it's by a, a past principal of my theological college. And this is what he says. And it's very powerful. It struck me when I read it. And I hope it strikes you too. The primary aim and motivation of our actions when we are in relation to other people must not be to make money, but rather to serve these other people within the perimeters required by the need to maintain the service uh, through having enough to live on and develop our resources. So yes, I'm not saying we we, we sell things at a loss, right? But what he's saying here is that our aim in job and work is to love and serve society and other people. That is the Christian understanding of work, right? Uh, He goes on to say, the primary aim should always be what Jesus had. Namely, true concern and service for his neighbor. And I think that that's a real eye-opener for me. And that was a real eye-opener when I read that book. Because in the world we live in, we measure the value of work and job based on money, right? The more the job pays, the better That job must be. Don't we we think so? That's the way the world looks at it. But, I think that that's the world's point of view. My sister is a doctor. And I know, uh, from meeting her friends, that some of them are desperately unhappy people. Because they are not cut out to be doctors. They don't want to be doctors. They are doctors because their parents got them to be doctors. And for the rest of their life, they're not happy, right? Because it is not about getting the best paying job, but it is finding a job which you can serve society with, with the gifts that God has given you. So, uh, I've got a friend of mine. He was a hedge fund manager. You know, hedge fund managers make a lot of money. I mean, a huge sum of money. But during the financial crisis, he lost his job. And now he's been unemployed for many months, years. And uh, I said, What do you get another job? He says, Oh, I want a job which pays as much as the job I had before. You see, the mindset is, I must only get the uh, the job which pays. It's all about pay, right? But when you look at the Bible, what does he say here? He must do something useful with his hands. The Christian understanding of work is not about the pay, The Christian understanding is about getting a job which serves society, which serves your fellow man. That's what he says that. So, you know, we must get away from this idea where work is equivalent to the pay. And I'll tell you why. Uh, What about homemakers, mothers, people who look after children? Is their work not important? Is their work uh, less important than someone who works For more pay? No, right? Because the person who looks after the child is also serving society. They're bringing up their children. So again, I was talking to a relative of mine. And and again, this is why we must break free from this idea of work and money, right? And here he was, this person was a very high-paid person, and now, again, not working. I said, why don't you do this volunteer thing? Because you know, you've got all these gifts that God has given you. You've got all these years to live, right? And you know, he said to me, "I don't work for free, right? I don't work for free." So now he sits at home, miserable, at home, because he doesn't work for free, right? So, but no one wants to employ him for money anymore. So he just sits at home, do nothing. But at the same time, I know this other guy who's an elder at another church, and he is a real inspiration to me. He's much older than I am, and he's very active and vital, right? He's a writer. He's the editor of some magazine. He volunteers in church. He volunteers in government bodies. And he's got lots of things to do. He feels he has lots to contribute to society. Because he's got the right understanding of work, isn't it? is serving other people and loving other people. So, you know, it's, it's not, we shouldn't have the worldly dream. And what's the worldly dream? Work as hard as you can, earn as much, retire as early as you can. Isn't that the worldly dream? Because that's not the Christian idea of, of what we do with our life. Now, unfortunately, I come from a privileged background, right? And I, you know, I went to a good school. And I know some very rich people. And I can tell you honestly, at my age, my some of my friends are already retired. Okay? 42. Retired already. Spend their day playing golf and monitoring their share portfolio and their properties. And you sort of think, how is that serving other people? I mean, it's such a self-indulgent lifestyle, isn't it? You just wake up, play golf, go home, monitor your shares. What's the point of your life? Who, who are you helping? Who are you serving? What good are you doing to other people? Nothing. So I think that as you look at this passage, it says to us that work is not about job, high-paying job. It's about serving and loving the world and society and the people around you by serving them. So, what's the last thing? last thing is that he may have something to share with those in need. Now again, this is quite counter-cultural. Because if the world were to write this, he would say, he who has, not been, who has been stealing must steal no longer and must work doing something useful with his own hands and he must save as much as possible. Isn't it? Or he must put his money in the C.P.R. But he doesn't say that at all. He says, you, may, you must work so that you may share with those in need." Uh, I don't think that's a recipe for a best-selling book, right okay um, Because it basically comes back again to saying that wealth accumulation is not the aim of work. Now he's not saying that we must share and give everything away. The other parts of the Bible, which is up here, one Thessalonians and one Timothy, right which say that you must you must also you know not be dependent on others, provide for yourself, provide for your immediate family, but you must also share for other people. You see, I think it's a trap of the of the devil where we keep thinking that work is all about wealth accumulation, wealth accumulation, wealth accumulation. Because the criteria for work in the Bible is not just about wealth accumulation. If we think about wealth accumulation as the criteria for work, we will just chase after the next high-paying job, regardless of whether it's actually pleasing to God. Now, I have another friend of mine, and uh, he's single, very, very uh, gifted, successful person, uh, a consultant, he's gone from Malaysia to Singapore, Singapore to Australia, and I remember talking to him about 10 years ago, and he said, you know, Andrew, I really feel there's something missing in my life, you know, I want to get married. I want to have children, I want to spend more time in church. And today, he has none of those things. He is still not married, he has no children, and uh, he is not spending more time in church. Because he just keeps taking the next highest paying job. And the next high paying job finds him in Houston, finds him in Chicago, London, Dubai, Europe, Amsterdam, wherever. And you start thinking, of think, well, you've got money flowing out of your ears, right? You have no one to support. Why do you need to keep chasing after all these high-paying jobs? Which means that you will never find yourself in a good church. You will never have enough time for a girlfriend. And without a girlfriend, you never have any children. What's the point, isn't it? I mean, you know, in the world's eyes, he will be very successful. But in God's eyes, what is the point? Because wealth accumulation is not the key to the job. I know of uh, people who... uh, who turn down promotions. There are people in our congregation who turn down promotions because they want to spend more time doing Christian work. There are people who turn down uh, more, much better paying jobs. Why? Because they want to spend more time with their family. Now, my wife said I must put this illustration in, but I don't like talking about myself. Right? But when I first came back to Singapore, uh, my dad kept pushing me to take an overseas posting job because that pays a lot better. A lot better than the job I took in the end. But yet, I didn't because my, you know, Cheryl was pregnant and she was going to give birth, and I thought that what's the point of me being away all the time if I never actually get to see my young child growing up or, or, or being there when my child was born? See, at the end of the day, there we must think of things from a from a godly perspective, from an eternity perspective, from a Christian perspective, and not just from a worldly perspective. If I get that promotion, I must take it. Someone. Some hunter calls me with a job which pays twice as much, I must take it. No, it's not the case, isn't it? It's what is God going to think about that job? So, and I think that the, to leave you with two thoughts, I think there are two principles that we must, which help us in terms of thinking of how we behave at work. And they're captured in uh, this parable, right, that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. Okay, Luke chapter 12. And this man, uh, sorry, Jesus told this parable about this uh, rich man. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. I think there are two things on view here, right? One is stewardship versus ownership. Stewardship versus ownership. See, this guy, he only lives for himself. He thinks he owns everything. right? You look at what I've highlighted here. It is emphasized by the eyes, right? Okay, Verse 18. This is what I will do I will tear down my barns and will build bigger ones and then I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid out for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. So he thinks he owns everything. But, look at what Jesus, uh, not Jesus, look at what God says to him in verse 20. Your life will be demanded from you. Now we lose that emphasis there because in the English, demanded is like, okay, so what lah, I demand something from you, Right? But the word demanded here in the original Greek is the sense where I loan you something and I demand it back. You borrow my bicycle, I need it back. I want it back. You see, the word demanded here is the same word in Luke chapter 6, right? Luke chapter 6, is it up there? Yeah, Luke chapter 6. Give to everyone what he, who asks you and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. So you see what's happening here? God is actually saying that this man's life Is not his. God gave him his life and now God wants it back and God asks for an accounting of his life. You see that? The bonds he owns, the gifts that he has, all the things that he thinks are his are actually God's and God demands it back. And therefore, when we look at life that way, we will see. That our jobs, our brains, our education, our gifts, our energy, everything we have is not for us to make our own little nest egg, but is ours to account to God. Because one day God will demand our life back and we will have to answer to God how we live. Now when you look at life that way, then you can see that how we work is very important, isn't it? Because when God demands our life back one day, He will say, why did you do this at work? Why did you behave this way? In the same way when you look at this passage, it is not just stewardship and ownership, it is times, it? it is time. If death is the only thing that defines our life, then yes, we should cheat, we should lie, we should do whatever is possible to get as much money and to eat, drink and be merry. Don't you think so? Logical, right? But if there is life after death, then. Money cannot be the main criteria by which we decide how to live our life. We must live for eternity. And therefore, we cannot be careless in the way we live because as we learn in Proverbs, if we work in a bad way, if we continue to work in an ungodly way, then we forfeit our eternal life. We will not have that sure reward. We will not have salvation from death. We will be an abomination before God. So in conclusion, I want to challenge you. How do you work? How do you work? Because work, the work you do will be actually accountable to God one day. The pastor once surveyed a group of church members somewhere. I heard this illustration. I think it's a true illustration. He surveyed a group of his church members and he asked them, what is the worst thing that you can see happening to you? So in a Bible study group, so some of the uh, they, were, they were all church members. Uh. So the, the church member said, "Well, some of the worst the worst thing that could happen to me is that you know I lose my physical faculties. Maybe I have Alzheimer's disease. Maybe I can't see. Maybe I lose my hearing. That would be to me the worst thing that could happen to me." Some other person said, "Maybe it's some sort of uh, relational or, or emotional uh, uh, pain." Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a death of a spouse. Or maybe the death of a child. Some other person said it was maybe a loss of a sum of money. Maybe the retirement income that you had is not there anymore because somehow you've lost it in some sort of uh, you know, loss, unexpected loss. But then the pastor came away very sad because No one in this Bible study group had said that the worst thing that could happen to this person would be the loss of eternal life, the loss of heaven. Because when you think about it, that is the worst thing that could happen to you. That if you, you know, you could go blind, you could have Alzheimer's disease, you could lose all your money, but that is nothing compared to losing eternal life, to not getting to heaven. Therefore, if you look at life that way, then you will see that how we work is so important. Because the way you work will show whether you really have the fruits of repentance, whether you are in Christ, whether you put on the new clothes of righteousness, whether you are truly a kingdom person or a worldly person. Now, I just want to leave you one last... um, uh, uh, Yep, this one. Now, this is uh, coming from uh, Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think that this is the final word on work, isn't it? Because it shows us that how we work does not just have implications for now, in this world, in this life, in the wages that we receive, the pay you receive at at the end of each month, but actually how you live will actually result in whether you have treasure in heaven. Do you live for false and deceptive wages or do you live for the treasure which really lasts? Once you see the world in that way, then you will see that how you work really does make a difference. Okay, let's go to God and pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you will help us to be renewed in our thinking, that you will help us truly to see the world as it is, that the world does not end in death, but there is a much greater eternity ahead of us. That we are not owners of ourselves, of our education, our gifts, uh, even our own money. But we are merely stewards. And we pray that truly, as we see the world as it really is, we will live like your people. We will put on the new clothes of righteousness and holiness. We will do everything in God and Christ. Dear Father, Help us at work to be discerning, to not steal time, things or people's trust, that we will not measure work by money, but to see how we can serve our fellow man and that we will use the money we get to be generous with people, to feed our families, but to see that there is a much greater reward ahead of us and therefore teach us how to work in a righteous and holy way. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.